We'd love to hear your thoughts about the Yamaha podcast. Please feel free to send your comments to bandandorchestra at yamaha.com. Thank you for your support of Yamaha products. With a commitment to innovative instrument designs and an industry-leading five-year warranty, we are confident that you will be able to depend on Yamaha. All right. Brad Garner, how are you? It's so good to see you here at uh, NFA 2006. You know I'm doing great, John. It's great to be here. Yeah. Um, it, you know, I know you've been here since, what, Tuesday and just uh, uh, working around and getting pieces prepared. And I know it's just been a really busy show for you. Well, it, it has, but it's, it's been good. Pittsburgh is, uh, they've been great here at the, the hotel and the convention center. And yeah, I came in on Tuesday because I had eight students here in different competitions and uh, had to make sure that they were all ready and hear dress rehearsals and uh, make sure that they were prepared and yeah. in every every way that you know the best possible way that they could be. Awesome. And your dad's here? I saw your dad my and dad, your wife. My stepmother Marine, uh -huh. uh, my wife Linda and Brett Brooke and Brianne, my three daughters. Uh, Excellent. So it's it's a special convention. Yeah. Now um well, let's uh, talk. Let's talk about what's going on with NFA and you first, and sure. I, I just want to talk about your career and how it's going and all that stuff. Um, this show seems like a very, very, very um, great opportunity for people to get a chance to hear you play some very diverse types of compositions. Well, it really is. Yeah, I uh, did a recital uh, last night, and then tonight we'll do the gala evening concert. Mm -hmm. uh, all different types of music. Uh, my recital began with uh, the Italian concerto by Bach and then ended with the Italian concerto by De Mersimont. Mm -hmm. uh, and then sandwiched in between those two pieces um, was a world premiere by a great conductor and uh, uh, composer friend of mine, Glenn Cortese. Yeah. And uh, it was called the Star Maidens. And I commissioned Glenn to do this piece for the Cincinnati Flute Symposium and the NFA. So uh, while we played it at the uh, Flute Symposium, we didn't really have quite enough time to learn it. So mm. this was the official world premiere okay. uh, yeah. yesterday. And yeah. uh, it's a great piece. And then after, after that, uh, we did the Gobert Madrigal. Mm. Yeah, I played with Linda Mark, my yeah. favorite pianist of all time. And uh, we've collaborated for over uh, 20 years, uh, just as she collaborated with Julie Baker, mm. my uh, former teacher. And, and she's the Yippa accompanist every year now. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah you're very lucky to have her. Yes. <laughs> I mean, my students get spoiled having her all the time. Whenever they travel somewhere else and have to play with some, with someone else, it's just so easy. Right. With her, it's just, uh, it's, it's just, she takes it to a real high level very, very quickly. It's the sixth sense of uh, piano, right. piano playing. Right. Well, you know, you and I were sitting in beautiful Muncie, Indiana, not too long ago, sitting right. outside drinking. Uh, the birthplace of Jim Walker, I might add. <laughs> <laughs> Jim called me from uh, from Hawaii. He called me, and I said, uh, I was walking uh, in the beautiful town of Muncie, and uh, I said, uh, where are you, Jim? He said, well, I'm driving down the coastline of Hawaii, uh, going to play golf. He said, you really should be here. And I said, well, I can't right now, but I'm sort of in the same type of place. And uh, he said, where is that? I said, Muncie, Indiana. He started laughing. He goes, 
you jerk. I was born there. You know? kidding. I didn't know that. <laughs> I said, well, that explains the uh, sign outside of the city limit says home of Jim Walker. So, <laughs> right. But anyway, it's a great week of uh, the ARIA Festival. Yeah. There. Well, we were uh, sitting outside. We were drinking coffee. And um, you had to explain what, uh, what the black eye is, your, 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 your drink. Well, it's my instant adrenaline. Yeah. yeah. What you is know, it? Get, get a black eye. It's a... Um, cup of coffee with two shots of espresso nice and uh, if that doesn't get you going in the morning nothing will so <laughs> it's a little kickstart for the day well when we were uh, having our black eyes you were telling me that, uh, about this piece that um, you're going to play at the gala concert tonight right it's uh, a piece that I wrote uh, or put together more I guess I could say wrote um, that uh, incorporates three paintings that I did back in, in 99. Um, I, uh, just a little bit of why I started, started painting. Um, I probably hadn't painted since kindergarten. And uh, I uh, had gotten a new apartment in New Jersey and I thought, you know, I really, it was really a very nice apartment right at the foot of the George Washington Bridge. And I thought, you know, I really need some neat art in there. And I really like Kandinsky and some of the, the modernists. And um, we were at the flute convention. It's all, everything, my whole life is tied into flute, into flute conventions. <laughs> um, we're at the flute convention in Atlanta, and uh, I saw these, as most people do, fall in love with the art in motels and hotels. Uh, I fell in love with the bulldog painting, playing pool. No, I fell in love with this. <laughs> Velvet Elvis. Yeah, right. This, uh, uh, picture in a Kandinsky type style and I thought you know I need to have some of that in, in my apartment so I uh, started looking at uh, paintings and everything just seemed out of my price range for what I wanted to do and uh, <clears throat> I thought you know I think I can do that so I started painting and uh, people still are kind of surprised that that it's mine they see Garner on there and they say oh so your uncle or brother <laughs> paints or something but um, and I am a bit embarrassed about it sometimes because my stepmother, Mary Irene, uh, is a, a great painter. Um, really? But, uh, I know. I, uh, nevertheless, I, I do that from time to time. And I had these paintings that I wanted to write a piece about. Uh, so it's called um, Three Paintings, uh, Journey in, or it's a multimedia journey in ethno-diversity. Because along with the paintings, the music that I'm playing is... Um, put together uh, in the studio, taken from music from all over the world. I listen to music from all over the world. Wherever I am, I always try to be buy the latest two or three CDs. Sometimes it's rock, sometimes it's pop, uh, and maybe a classical musician there. So uh, I uh, uh, had uh, a, a lot of fun with this, putting things together. It has, has music from all over Asia, and uh, uh, Australia and, and uh, North America and uh, pop music that we have now. And uh, the first movement is um, Rainbow Thicket, kind of my dream or idea about what happens in the grasses, uh, thicket meaning grasses. In the grasses, there's another world that we don't don't see, mm -hmm. you know, and uh, sort of a tribal dance of what the bugs or whatever you, mm -hmm. what you might have or uh -huh. down there. Yeah, I am a little crazy, but that, that makes life interesting. <laughs> and um, so uh, incorporated in this particular movement um, 
is, uh, there's a lot of spoken word in this. Some disco uh, or DJ sounds mm -hmm. and announcements and things. Um, and uh, included in this, is, as I said, there's a group of Japanese drummers. There are some uh, Chinese drummers, some Native American drummers, a uh, guy from Indonesia that says something. I don't know what he's saying. Mm. Um, I hope it's nice. And, I hope so. Uh, but, um, and uh, then uh, I'm, the stuff that I'm playing, and part of it is based on an Indian raga scale. Okay. And uh, it's interesting how all of these things kind of go together. Yeah. The second movement is based on Rising Spirit, uh, the painting that I did that is almost Native American looking. Um, and uh, it uh, has singers from Africa, it has bells, Tibetan bells, um, and uh, it's very, kind of very spiritual. Mm -hmm. um, and it also has a Lakota Indian prayer in, in there. And I do know when he says Wanikta Jaw, he's saying God. So uh, mm -hmm. uh, that's fun. It, the third movement, Crazy Fingers is a painting that I did where you can actually see the, the, the crazy fingers in there and it's all out crazy. Uh, it's just a bunch of uh, sounds from and voices from all over. Uh, it has uh, uh, James Brown in it, it has Prince, it has a couple of the South Park voices and uh, it ends with Strong Bad and I'm just ripping off scales and, and playing just kind of crazy things. Uh -huh. At yeah. the end, it's got a jet taking off and a bomb exploding. and uh, <laughs> So it has a pretty large climax. <laughs> so. That sounds like a blast. And, and that, that's tonight at the, the, that at, at the Gal concert, yeah. right? And um, just so our listeners know, I'm not sure they all know what flute you do play and what head joint combination you're using right now. Well, I play in an 894. Um, I love the, uh, the four scale. The uh, 894 with an E, a, actually, my head joint is the predecessor of the EC. Uh -huh. So it's an AC prototype going into the EC. Mm -hmm. And it's one that I picked up at uh, the uh, factory and uh, in Japan uh, out of about 40 head joints. All, all of them were great, but I just picked this one. It happened to be engraved. It wasn't, I didn't get it for, for that reason. But uh, while I was there, I picked it up in about 17 years ago. Wow. And uh, I just have never put it down. Yeah. It's just a great head joint. Yeah. I, it allows me to do everything I want to with the, with the flute. Um, in my teaching and, and playing, I really stress a lot of different tone colors, uh -huh. a lot of different dynamics, uh, tension and release, because we as human beings, everything we like has tension or release right. in it. Right. Uh, whether it's food, or it's a movie or a symphony that we that we hear. If it was all, you know, uh, a war scene in a movie, we just wouldn't. We'd get worn out after a while. We'd yeah. feel beaten to death. Yeah. So there has to be a love scene, or has to be some some downtime. Right. So right. when we when we play the the flute, there ha has to be some nuances in there where where uh, well, it just comes down to to the tension and release. Right. Right. So my A ninety four, I love the scale. I love the, the sounds that I can mm -hmm. get. I want a thousand different tone colors. I want a palette of, of tone colors. Yeah. And uh, while we'll never get a thousand different tone colors, uh, it's a good thing to, to have that in mind. Right, right. Cool. Tell, um, tell us about wh uh, where you're teaching now and what your uh, teaching load is like these days. 
Well, I teach at uh, four schools, the, uh, primarily at the University of Cincinnati, yeah. College Conservatory of Music. It's way too long, the name is. <laughs> Um, but we call it CCM. Mm -hmm. Teach at CCM where I have 18 students. Wow. And uh, I see those 18 students every week, plus teach them a, a flute class on Tuesday nights. Oh, wow. Okay. I teach in pairs at Cincinnati. Uh, they each have a partner, and they have, they're in there for an hour and a half, so they play for me for 45 minutes. And I see them for an hour and a half of flute class. So when they go to school at CCM, I see them all three hours a week. Uh, or they get to spend three hours, which may be a little bit more time than they're watching. <laughs> but comparatively uh, to other schools, that is a lot of great time with the, the primary teacher. Well, it works really well. Yeah. They, they learn, they learn, not only learn from me, but they learn from each other. And, and when they're playing for each other, it's much, they're much more on their toes. Mm -hmm. and they're apt to, to really be ready for their lessons. Right, right. Uh, the partner will take, take notes for the other student, the student playing. And uh, they'll say, they'll have the music, if the student playing has the Mozart, and maybe they brought in the Nielsen, then they have their Mozart music and they're, they're copying their right, notes. Right. And they learn the Mozart, so then when they play the Mozart, they have an idea about what I want. Sounds really efficient. And I try to do different about. orchestral excerpts and different etudes and so that they are, are learning. And then they learn a lot about teaching right. when they get to observe these lessons. Mm -hmm. uh, and the other thing, that, the other advantageous thing is that when I ask, uh, uh, when someone has a recital coming up, I'll ask their partner, I'll reschedule them, say, you know what, don't come today. We need to hope this whole hour and a half to work on the hour, hour recital music so yeah. we can get through all the music. Because yeah. otherwise you have to just play through the straight recital and not say Right, without any comment, so, yeah. So I'm there Monday through Thursday. Okay. Friday through Sunday, I'm in New York. Uh, every week and I teach at Juilliard, the Juilliard Pre-College, okay. where I've been for 23 years and uh, also teach at NYU mm -hmm. and uh, at Queens College. Mm -hmm. So um, my uh, Juilliard kids, I have about 10 there and usually two or three at NYU and one or two at Queens College and okay. then I'll teach some private kids. So I in your free time, <laughs> yeah. So um, I do have my uh, fill of, of flute lessons, but you know it's one of the greatest things in my life. I just enjoy it, and uh, you and I know that I had a, a little little health issue to deal with uh, two and a half years ago. Today I got a new kidney, and a new pancreas. Yes, which slowed me down a little bit, especially when I was on dialysis before the mm -hmm. uh, the, the transplant. But mm -hmm. uh, it has been working great, it has enabled me to keep going and, and do even more, and yes, Brad is alive, so <laughs> and there, there was some question there for a while. <laughs> you look great, though. I mean, you, you look like you're, you feel good and you're, you're healthy. And Well, thank you. Yeah. You've always looked great, Joe. Well, <laughs> it's great to be me. Yeah, I guess so, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, as always, uh, just having you here means so much to Yamaha, and having you on our team just really helps define us and uh, we appreciate you you know first and foremost as a as a dear friend but also as somebody who you know is a real leader in you know in the flute world here and we're just really honored to have you I know I know we, I don't think we can say it enough you know to have you on our team Brad well thanks I'm glad to be on the team I'm, yeah whether I'm the bat boy or playing first <laughs> base uh, it's uh, it's great to be here and I'm very lucky to be here and uh, to be playing a Yamaha
We'll have a great time tonight at the concert. We'll be there. The whole right. team's going to be there. Oh. The designers and our visitors uh, from YCJ are going to be there, and the, the staff here are going to tear down the booth and uh, root you on. So. Well, well, thanks. If you're not there, I refuse to play. So, <laughs> so anyway, it'll be a little crazy, but it'll be fun. Great, Brett. Thanks All so right. much. Thank you, John. All right, man. Dr. Mary Karen Clardy, it's so good to be with you here. Um, this is John Whitman sitting here with Mary Karen Clardy, and uh, we're at NFA 2006. Hey, John, drop the doctor. I feel like I need to write a prescription. <laughs> Sorry, I just wanted to give you a formal intro. <laughs> that's, that's great. I'm so happy to be here. Mm -hmm. NFA is always a, is a pleasure, and to see you and, and other Yamaha friends and colleagues, it's great. Yeah, thank you. Um, we're here in Pittsburgh. We've enjoyed walking around outside and, and Well, you know what I really it. love is the temperature. Oh, my Having gosh, had a, a really hot summer, it feels great. Mm -hmm. I'll bet it does, especially coming from Texas. Yeah, it is. Yeah. We've had one. Well, well, we're sitting here in a room and um, we have some uh, Yamaha technicians in the back and designers in the back. We're going over all the flutes uh, for um, NFA today before the show starts, uh, going over the flutes and making sure every, every one of them feels just right. Mm -hmm. In fact, I have to say to the listeners out there, I was a part of the process this morning. I sat right. and play tested for about an hour because we want to be sure those instruments are really ready for people mm -hmm. to play test on the floor. And that makes such a difference with an instrument. You know, you asked me about students and what I see with trends. What you have to really do as a young player is make sure that your instruments always, first of all, you're playing on the best quality instrument you can. And then what you want to do is you want to keep it in shape because if you're going to play well, you got to have an instrument that's really ready to respond. So that's what we did this morning. Mm -hmm. How is it, um, well, kind of two things. I guess we'll just go stream of consciousness sure. here, whatever pops up. You know, when you're a young player and you don't have, you know, the finances to bring your, you know, your flute into a, you know, a real great technician often, um, how do you, how do you keep it in good shape when it, you know, when it maybe going in and out. Do you have well, any suggestions? Here's my best advice. <clears throat> when I take mine in, which is fairly seldom, because I take a really good daily approach to taking care of a flute, mm -hmm. always swab it out. Always make sure that you've got your case in a place where you're not going to drop it. Mm -hmm. That sounds kind of silly, but, no, but you know, just yeah. Just preventive medicine is the best. And then the other is that if you actually do go to a technician, make sure you check the head cord. Make sure that they just use a little oil on it, make it not overly oiled, but make sure that you're the one who's taking care every day to be sure that it goes back snug and secure in the case, and you're gonna avoid a lot of problems mm -hmm, that way. Mm -hmm. How is it that on the floor you know, of a show like this, they can go in and out of a adjustment so quickly. Oh, so easy because yeah. we are responsive to humidity, temperature changes. Uh, particularly if you're a piccolo player, what you're going to see with a wooden instrument is that it changes with the climate because wood is still alive. Now, a metal instrument, the padding is going to respond to altitude if you fly on a plane. It's going to respond to temperature differences, humidity differences, and one of the things you can always make sure to do is warm your flute up in the morning before you really play, hmm. so that what you do is you adjust it to whatever climate you're in. That sounds kind of silly, but you know there is a belief, certain players who always put their flute north to south when they go to sleep. Is that right? That's really true. I've never heard that. You know, I, I hate to bring up name drop, but Mr. Galloway <laughs> does the same thing. Really? And there, there are a lot of us that believe that you, you really want to make sure that you leave your flute in the case, the same direction you put it together the same way 
and it ends up over the long haul of the instrument just taking better care. Mm -hmm. Now how long have you had the flute that you have right now? You know I've had it probably about six years or so. Mm -hmm. Fabulous instruments. 14K um, Yamaha. Mm -hmm. It's a beautiful head joint that's been slightly tweaked by one of our really fabulous head joint designers, Case K. Hey, um, he's right over yeah, there. Yeah, he is. Case K. Hey. Yeah, he's, he's a fabulous designer and, and, and watch for some new things coming. Yeah. We've been working on head joints and uh, he's a, a really terrific craftsman, great ear, responsive to the mm -hmm. player, so we got stuff coming. Awesome. It's great to have Mr. Kameda here also from uh, YCJ who's traveled from uh, YCJ to, to see us here. Say hello. Ohio. <laughs> <laughs> They're working so hard yeah, over that's, there. That's the extent of our uh, Japanese here. Mine is Ohio gozaimasu. And, uh, yeah. something, something, something like that. But I, I yeah. use that one mm -hmm. Thank God we've got the international <laughs> language of music. Yes, we do. In know? fact, John, you asked me about trends and what I see. And again, stream of consciousness. But I think the universal language of music speaks to all of us. And that even if you're a flute player who's 14 or 16, and you're not going to play in an orchestra the rest of your life, invest your time in music because it means as the world becomes a closer global community you're going to be able to communicate with your friends who are fellow musicians flute players from china in yeah. india you know the yeah. old tom friedman the world is what is it the world, the world is flat, is flat. yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. it's so true and music i mean we're ahead of the curve because we've been knowing this for mm -hmm. however long it is we've had a musical mm -hmm. scale mm -hmm. because we speak to people and you can get together and have a fabulous musical rehearsal uh, often i go to brazil uh, and do a festival down there. We get together, I don't speak a word of Portuguese, but sometimes it's the most fabulous music because mm -hmm. what we're doing is we're communicating through music without the need necessarily to sit down and chit chat with language. Right, right. I can't do it. Yeah, yeah. But we can all speak the same musical language. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. The, one of the best, strongest benefits of being a musician is being able to think back over years of travel and know, you know, the name of a state or a country pops up and you think of a family or you think of a musician or a conductor or whatever and you have real like emotional ties mm -hmm. to these people. I, I think the best <clears throat> word, and it's a little bit of a buzzword these days, but connection. Mm -hmm. Because connection does not have to be verbal. It can be on a, a kind of a level, a musical level, an emotional, expressive level that speaks much stronger than even sometimes a word you can say hello but when you have that feeling and that remembrance of a family that you knew when you traveled or maybe you had a fabulous experience in a concert and you still remember the warmth mm -hmm. after you finished that last note of the concerto or if you're a young player maybe you're with a youth orchestra or you did a concert band in Europe between your junior and senior year in high school you have memories from that that you carry the rest of your life Absolutely, absolutely. Well, let's talk about your travel for a minute. I know that um, one of the things uh, I really want to talk to you about in a moment is um, versatility and the need uh, to be versatile as a musician and as a person in order to you know, succeed in this industry. So we'll talk about it in a second. But I know that um, you have a very, very full schedule down at um, UNT, University of Tech. We're University of North Texas, and for UNT. those who are listening from, you know, blast in the past, we have had several names. We were in the past North Texas State University. Right. We are now University of North Texas, okay. and we're famous for lots of things. Of course, our one o'clock jazz band, right, which is right. world renowned. Right. I'm going to start over on this uh, just this chunk. Um, 
Concerning your, I know that your schedule at UNT is very, very, very busy with the, the teaching you do down there, but you also do a lot of um, you know, writing and traveling and concertizing all over. Where have you been um, recently and what, what kind of things, uh, repertoire have you been playing? Sure. Uh, what kind of teaching are you doing and what's, uh, I, I understand you're going to Hong Kong real soon. Yeah, we've been in a, a week, 10 days or so. Mm -hmm. But the recent, um, oh, let's say year or year and couple of months. Uh, I've been in South America. I was in Bogota, Colombia. And you asked me about the repertoire. Of course, all of us are playing Mozart this year because it's been the Mozart year. Uh, Mozart D major concerto. I've played lots of Mozart quartets with strings this year. Played some other Mozart chamber music. Uh, we've, we've sort of focused on his birthday, so it's mm -hmm. been a wonderful year for that. I've been in Shanghai twice over the past couple of years. Just returned from there about three weeks ago. Um, gosh, I've been in Korea probably just over a year ago. On the way back to Hong Kong, been to Europe for concerts in Venice. So yeah, I do a fair amount of globe, mm -hmm. globe trotting. So let's let's clarify that it sounds really, um, you know, exciting to uh, hear that you are going to all these countries, but for a young player, they might say, well, how does she know what she's gonna play? When she gets there, how do the rehearsals really go? And, you know, um, are that you know? Do you have to book your own hotel? And you know, like what what goes into when you say I'm going to Hong Kong? It sounds so romantic and exciting, mm -hmm. but it's real hard work. You're talking about the practical part. Yeah, just yeah. I mean, it's it's very practical. And the one thing I would say to young players is that anytime you find a very successful musician or a successful person in life, it's all about discipline and about daily practice. And I think that speaks to the whole thing, which mm -hmm. is that you get up every day, and I think there was a famous pianist or a violinist now, I can't remember, that always said you start music over again every day. Mm -hmm. You dig a little bit further in the trench because every day as you start again, you remember a little bit from the day before, but basically you start the process of the scales, and my days are no different than that. What's about the first thing I did this morning, I came into test flutes and I tried scales. Mm -hmm. um, the practical part of traveling, a lot of it comes with experience, and at the beginning, of course, you don't know. There is the age-old tradition of having an artist's agent. <clears throat> I think maybe that's still a factor, but I think it's a little less of a factor these days. Travel is easier to book. You know, those of us that travel a lot, we do the online booking. Mm -hmm. Everybody does it. Mm -hmm. And many times you have much more control over your daily schedule when you're in charge of the booking. Now, if you need help, you can always speak. There's a local sponsor. Usually, I'm hired by a orchestra, for example, in South America, I was hired by um, the main orchestra in the city of Bogota. And of course, arrangements were done by them. I did my own flight arrangements, but they did, uh -huh. of course, travel within the country, I had a driver and a car. But those kinds of things, um, Depends on the location. Sometimes if I'm for a class um, in Hong Kong, of course, all the local arrangements are booked, but I wanted to book my own travel simply because that way I knew when I got back from the flu right. convention, exactly. I wasn't popping on a plane the next day. Yeah, right, right. Now, is it safe to say that when you finally make it to the destination, in your mind, all of the work, all the musical work, all your preparation is done? That, I think that's really fair, John, because what happens, again, that daily practice, you're preparing yourself to play any music that's put in front of you because you don't see a piece of music and it's the first time you've ever seen it. Everything in music is what you practice every day. Now, you're, you're a percussionist, huh? Mm -hmm. I bet you never ignore those fundamentals, the rudiments. Gosh. I mean, you never ends. do them. Never ends. You know, and the young player often sees that you learn those things, or maybe, maybe I'm in middle school. 
maybe I'm 12 years old, and I assume that once the scales are learned and you have a career such as I do, that I don't bother doing that stuff again. Absolutely not. Mm -hmm. I probably do them now much more than I did as a young player, simply because you know the necessity. Mm -hmm. So that when I launch into Bogota and don't speak very well in Spanish, mm -hmm. that I, I can go to the level of the scales and all my practice is done so that when we're in the rehearsal and the conductor wants to go through it twice because that's the time we have, yeah. then I'm not wasting the orchestra's time doing the homework that right, I did right. at home. Exactly. I've got another question to ask you here before we uh, split, and, and that is concerning um, the, uh, well, let's, let's put it this way. If you could speak to young flutists in America right now, maybe they're sophomores, juniors, seniors in, in college or in high school, and they really have found a great amount of joy in playing the flute, and they're really seriously considering auditioning at a music college. Um, and being a music major um, with flute being their main instrument. I'd like to know if you could get all of those kids in one room, um, if you could give them one, two, or three thoughts that could help them focus their time, not waste their time, and perhaps take a good look at themselves and examine their own motives. So maybe some helpful um, either philosophy or some real technical things. Maybe it has to do with the fact that you see a lot of kids auditioning who are technically really proficient, but um, haven't paid attention to a certain aspect of musicality. You know, maybe share the you know the the top two or three mistakes yeah. that you see. Well, let me give it a, a kind of two prong. Okay, great. The practical and also the more artistic approach. Okay. So let me give you the artistic first and then I'll back it up with the practical. The artistic is that you have to follow your dream. And if you are a sophomore or junior in high school and you seriously love music, then I think that's what you have to start out doing. Because anytime you have a sense that you want to spend your life in music, there are those people that we all know that did a degree in mathematics and then they're never happy. So five years later, they say, you know, I really missed it. I need to go back. And they go back and do what is very easy at the beginning to start. Start a music degree because that first year or two, the classes are all the same. Mm -hmm. You never lose if you start in music. Two years later, you say, you know, I really don't love practicing. Then you move into another career. Yeah. But then all those things sort of move you into the next career. Right. Um, here on the floor of NFA, I can't tell you the number of people I'll, I'll strike up a conversation with if I come by to get a signature on a book. Um, and, and, and where are you teaching or where are you playing? Oh, I'm not. I'm a surgeon. Or, oh, I'm not. I manage the IT at the local university. But their first love is music. Yeah. And they're here because they love it. Yeah. And you never can go back. And what you do is you follow your dream. Now, the practical part, um, play those scales and practice every day because thinking about practice is not the same thing as doing it. You have to be a doer if you're going to be a musician. You got to, if you're a percussionist, get your practice pad out and you got to start every day, work those hands, work those hands. Um, I think practical aspect of music is so much more important than people like to think of it. You got to get those muscles going and that has to do with musical muscles, ear muscles, chop muscles. Um, expressive muscles mm -hmm. and that's all based on the daily routine of, of practicing the things that we need to do long tones um, warm-up exercises harmonics for us scales arpeggios and then you're ready to play your best so yeah a little bit of practical a little yeah. artistic yeah it's there's not a lot of mystery 
it's just hard work and consistent practice. Do. Mm-hmm. Don't plan to do or think right. about doing. Do. Exactly. I think it's Yoda. Isn't that the one that always said, <laughs> do not think, do. <laughs> right. So, right. in the words of Yoda. <laughs> Should we stop this fun, John? <laughs> Where would we be without Yoda? <laughs> so, are you going to um, walk around the show for a while and then you're taking off today? Right. Yeah, I'm. Uh, I'm going to spend some time. I want to be back in the booth. Some, you know, press Did, the flesh. Let me ask you what um, what inspired you. Just off the top of your head, being here at NFA, um, you heard a lot of music, saw a lot of people. Did anything just really touch you and make you just really inspired this time musically? Well, I tell you what I thought, and I, and I had this conversation with someone. I thought I felt in general a really wonderful spirit in this convention, that I felt people were excited to be here. Uh, some people were in the lectures, some people were in the concerts, some people were in the exhibits. I think there's a little bit of everything here, and I think that the space is really fabulous because mm-hmm. we're sitting on a river, and we're looking really at beautiful. you know beautiful sports <clears throat> facilities around. Mm-hmm. We're looking at mountains. The climate has been fabulous this year, and so if, if I have any memory, it would be seeing friends that I don't see except once a year. Right. Sharing right. those wonderful memories. What'd you do this year? Where are you going this year? Gosh, can't you please put us on your spot for next year? So lots right. of cum- cumulative, but mostly yeah. I'd, I'd say personal memories. Yeah, awesome. You know, you've been a real huge part of Yamaha, you know, and our artist community and with the flute you know in, in particularly just having you part of our team you know has just meant so much to us and you know we're, we remain dedicated to education and we're just so grateful to have you on board well it's a two-way street I mean I feel one of the reasons for my alliance with Yamaha and a, a long-lasting relationship has been that commitment to education and the philosophy that you know music and education are the future of the world that's right and we we've got a lot of press these days about the bad stuff that's going on but we need a little bit more press about the great stuff it's the kids that are in those school bands it's the kids that are involved in music on a daily basis because communication is the future of the world and the better we communicate whether it's through music or sitting down across the table having a cultural exchange and eating each other's food it's all a package and mm-hmm. it's a smaller world today yeah. and so that I'm I'm so committed to what you as a Yamaha corporation are committed to philosophy mm-hmm. of education development of education through music it's a fabulous mm-hmm. relationship well thank you Mary Love Karen. It, John. okay yeah. thanks have fun safe travels I will okay talk to you soon bye bye